It's 12.08, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Eric, you ever have those days when you sit down and you're going to do your show, and, and you know that by the end of the show you're going to have irritated just about everybody. And one, <laughs> that, that is what today's show is. I can just tell. Sooner or later, if you're not irritated by the first topic and mad at me, stick around because by the time 2.45 rolls around, I, I guarantee that I will. It doesn't matter. Conservative, liberal, in between, business, anti-business. It, I, I have topics that are going to tick off everybody. Huh. That's I'm just telling you up front. That's the way. Thanks for that. FYI. Absolutely. So you know, for for all those phone calls, well, that that's that's okay. All right, let us get started. The legislature, in my opinion, Wisconsin legislature, back in 2013, they passed a law that was driven by landlords across the state. Here's what the beef was: people who owned property were and landlords particularly, but also like business owners, they would get honked off when people would illegally park in their parking lots. Um, you Let's say you're, you're a landlord, you own a condominium complex, or you own an apartment building, and you know, you've know you got all these reserve spaces, and you come and you find out that some people are parking, they haven't reserved the spaces, they're parking in your spots, it creates a problem, a tenant comes in, somebody's in their spot, the tenant calls to complain. Or alternatively, you've got a business, like you've got a restaurant, and all of a sudden, you know, there is, it's just supposed to be just for the parking for your restaurant. And all of a sudden, you find that people are parking there and they're going to do all sorts of other things. The law used to be that you couldn't have those cars towed. What you would have to do is you would have to call the police. The police would have to they come, they'd have to write a ticket, and then the car could be towed. But l- let's face it, in a place like Milwaukee, where you've got people dying right and left um, as, a, as, as a condition of violent crime, you, you, you call the police and say, hey, I've got two cars illegally parked in my lot. It's not going to be a priority. So what the legislature did back in 2013 is they passed a law which said if the private property owner, the landlord, the restaurant owner, or whatever – posts a sign that says cars illegally parked will be towed, then they don't have to go through the trouble of calling the police and writing a ticket. They can. But if they've got a sign up there that says cars are illegally parked can be towed, what they can do is they can contract with private towing companies. And the private towing companies can come in. They can tow the cars. And the private towing companies make a bundle of money. Because when you come out and you want to get your car back, well, you've got to pay this fee or that fee, and it ends up costing you, at best, hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get your car back. All right. Well, you might say, Jeff, that this makes sense to me. I mean, people shouldn't be parking illegally. Well, the problem, the way this has turned out, is you have some of these private towing firms, not all, but some, that are true bottom feeders. And what they will do is they will wait until the middle of the night, say, and then they'll swoop through an apartment complex, and then they'll tow any car that doesn't belong. It's not like there's been a complaint or anything. They will tow the cars. They'll just take them because they make money on every car that it is that they take. And as a result, what happens is a lot of times people get get caught up in this whole thing. It's like, gee, um, I was, my mom is in Florida. I was staying at her apartment. I was parked in her space. Boom, my car has been towed. Or um, I parked, I was staying at Jeff's place while he was in Florida. I parked in his space. Boom, my car has been towed. And of course, the towing companies, they don't care about this because they're all about getting the money. That's why they typically operate in the dead of night. 
and in can, case in many cases without having received any sort of complaints. They just go in, they swoop in, they they take the cars. Now, what happened, it got so bad that in some cities, for example, like in the city of Milwaukee, it got so bad with some of these out-of-control towing operations that the city now has ordinances that says if, if you go out and you catch somebody, one of these tow truck operators that's getting ready to tow your car, and you come onto the scene, for example, by paying 50 bucks, you can essentially avoid having your car towed. They have to drop the car. There's all sorts of other rules about, you know, you're being able to recover, you know, get your in, the, your stuff from the inside, you know, out of it and things like that. But again, many of these towing companies don't like this because, you know, they want to tow the thing away and they want to charge you hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get your car back. So there's an interesting story in the Journal Sentinel that kind of brings this all to home. There's this guy who says, here's what happens. He was at his mother's apartment building. He parks in a space assigned to another tenant that was vacant. He says, there's all these empty spaces available, but yes, I I parked in the space that I wasn't supposed to. I ran in. I had to get my mom to sign something. So I ran in. I was in there for about 10 minutes. That's his story. He comes out and his car, according to him, his car is, you know, being, being towed. And he says, I, I tried to get the tow truck driver to stop. I was talking about how I was going to pay this fee, et cetera. They wouldn't let me do it. They, they towed the car. But, but the bottom line is, and now he's, he's filed a complaint against the tow truck company. And now there's going to be hearing in city hall as to whether they're going to revoke the, the license of this tow truck, truck cop company, the tow truck company has to be licensed to operate. It is interesting. They call this this thing where you can essentially stop your car from getting towed by paying $50 up front. They um, talk about that, and they describe this as being a, a vehicle drop fee. You know, we'll, we'll drop the car off the tow truck, off the hook, if you give us the $50. According to the Journal Sentinel, the guy's complaint, he says this, this one towing company that he was dealing with, um, they showed no reported vehicle drop fees among about 3,600 private tows from 2016 to through, to through September of this year. So, I mean, his point is, you know, once these places get these cars, they're not paying drop fees, they're, they're hauling them off. But many of the ways, again, the, these tow truck drivers operate is that they, they cruise these areas in the middle of the night. That's it, because they don't want you to know that they are coming to tow your car. They just It's 3 o'clock in the morning. There's no complaints, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Now, the, the story in the paper today is, is, I think, kind of interesting, and I, I don't know how the thing is going to, to turn out. I have a larger issue, though. And as I said, I appreciate the fact that if you are a landlord or you are a store owner or something like that, nothing is more frustrating than somebody essentially, you know, parking in your lot and keeping your car, their car there for days or whatever where it's not supposed to be. I understand that frustration. I think, though, that the way this law has worked out in practice, in practice, as opposed to in theory, has been incredibly anti-consumer because what it's done, it has encouraged the growth of these sort of renegade tow truck companies who admittedly they're, they're hired by the landlord, but it's not about convenience of tenants. It's really not even about trying to keep the property clear of cars that don't belong there. It's just turned into a money-making scheme for these tow truck operators. 
All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would we be better off going back to the old system that said that before cars have to be towed, they have to be ticketed for being illegally parked? In other words, you've got to get the police involved. So there is maybe an element of common sense that is used here. So, for example, if the guy really is only there in there for 10 minutes, nobody's going to call and complain about it. You're going to be able to work it out. Instead, his car is towed away. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you have found yourself caught up in this, I would be particularly interested to speak to you. By the way, as we do for the first couple segments of every program, we're doing it today. We are live streaming Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Let's talk about tow truck wars in Milwaukee and in Wisconsin. Would we be better off going back to the old system that said before cars can be towed, they have to be ticketed? We discuss next. 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I told you this was going to be a topic that ticks off just about everybody. All right, here's one. Jeff, what about the person who doesn't want to drink and drive, leaves their car at a bar, takes an Uber home? Will their get car get towed then? Well, the answer is, yeah, maybe. If, if you leave your car overnight, let's say the restaurant or bar has a sign saying, unauthorized cars parked here will be towed, and you're there after hours and you haven't made private other arrangements with the owner, or somebody that gets in touch with the tow truck company, and yes, your your car will be towed under those circumstances. All right, um, let's see, here's another text. I had a tow truck driver literally try to block me when I pulled in a spot to pick up a friend. Um, he said it was his private spot. And another one, doesn't Milwaukee have parking checkers? Put a couple on each district. Yes, they have lots of parking checkers. The city will collect the parking fines to help pay the parking checker payroll. All right, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Sean in Milwaukee. Sean, good afternoon. Hey, how you doing? Good, thank you. Okay, should are, are, are these are these tow truck drivers out of control? It, it's insane. It, it's just an awful experience if you get your car towed. What happened to you? Well, I got I um, stayed at my friend's house who didn't have a car, but he, he had a parking spot with his apartment. So he said, uh, "Yeah, you can park in there overnight." We we went out to the bars, and I didn't want to drive, so I parked in his parking spot. Woke up the next morning, my car is gone, and this is at the time when you had to have the police out to ticket it before you could have it towed. So I called the police. They said that they never ticketed the car. So I had the police come out, and I filled out a stolen car report because I figured my car was stolen. And uh, 10 days later, I got a call from a tow company saying, oh, yeah, we've had your car for 10 days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, not only do I now have to pay these fees, but it's been sitting there 10 days, and every day you get you incur right. more fines. Right. And again, you were... You were you didn't have a sticker for the space you were in, but you're in your buddy's parking space. Nobody called to complain about you. You just it was just your car was towed because you were in the space. I guess technically you weren't supposed to be there, but it was no harm, no foul because you had your friend's permission to be in that spot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, thanks. Thanks for calling. Again, I understand that there is this balancing act because that this gets abused. Look, I I get it. If I had a, a paid outdoor spot, for example, and I, I pull into I don't know, my, my apartment building and it's outdoors and somebody's in my spot, 
I, I'm going to be hacked off. I, I understand that. So that's what the balancing is. The problem, though, is with these tow truck drivers, look, they're, they're not doing this for the convenience, I, I think, of people. They're doing it because they want to make money. That's why you swoop through apartment complexes at 3.30 in the morning. Now, I get it. The argument would be, well, don't leave your car parked where it's not supposed to, and you're not going to have these problems. I'm just saying that there needs to be a balancing between tow truck drivers driving through and cleaning out you know, spots without any regard to why the car is there and whether or not it is really a problem or not. Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hey, uh, how you doing? Good. Um, what do yeah, you think? Uh, I, so I'd, I lived in an apartment complex, and I had a permit, but it fell off my ear. And uh, I came out to go to work early in the morning, and uh, there was a tow truck getting ready to hook up to it. And I'm like, oh, dude, I live here. He says, well, you need to have a permit. I says, I do. It fell off. Well, I don't see it. He says, well, I'll get it. He says, well, I already started. Um, and I said, well, you're not even hooked up to the car yet. I says, no, just it's time for you to leave. He says, well, no, I already put my hand on it. This is, you know, yeah. it's got to go. I says, really? I says, interesting. So I got in my car and I drove over the hump and I drove away. Yeah. You know, but if you would, if you would have came, if you would have came and done it, and I did have a car towed away, kind of the same situation. You know, it cost me the tolling fee, it cost me the storage fee and all that, and, and some of that had to be paid before they even tell me where my car was. Well, well right, and, and again, this isn't, it's not like anybody is complaining. You're in your spot. You're where right. you are supposed to be. Now, I understand your tag has fallen off, but again, it's not like somebody is complaining, hey, they're in my spot, et cetera, et cetera. You're, it's just, and, and the tow truck driver doesn't care. He doesn't care whether you're allowed to be there or not. All he cares about is, gee, I'm going to hook this car up. I'm going to pull it all away, and I'm going to I'm going to collect three or four hundred bucks from this guy. Who cares? And I'm just saying, I think that that pendulum has swung too far the other way, and there's a lot of people who are getting abused by this. Well, sure it has. And and what I'd like to know is, uh, a while ago, two years ago, I think there was a guy, same situation, came down. His car was being towed, and uh, they had a conflict. He followed the tow truck driver, and I believe. The driver, the tow truck driver went to the police station, but when he got out of the tow truck, he shot the guy that was following him. Right. And uh, I, I don't remember when that was. I just remember reading it on the news and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, there, there is stuff like that. It, you don't really hear about that. But it, I, I kind of look at it like, you know, putting the boot on the car. It's kind of like distortion. Oh, hey, look, I already got my hand on your car. Right. Well, that's why. I mean, thanks. For, that's why, at least uh, according to the story in the paper today, the, the guy says in this particular tow truck company, I don't know the facts of it one way or the other. But what the guy's claim is, hey, I, he says, I came out while they were jacking up my car. And in Milwaukee, because they had such a problem with what you're talking about, they have an ordinance that says, again, it's not the state law, but it's an ordinance in Milwaukee. You can pay 50 bucks if you're out there before they tow it away. They're supposed to drop it down. He says this guy was not having any of it. He was driving off with it. And as evidence of that, he points to the fact that, at least according to these public filings, he says in two and a half years, this company has never acknowledged any sort of drop-down fees, which does sound unusual that in towing thousands of cars over a couple-year period, there's not one person who took advantage of that that drop-down thing. It does sound a little bit suspicious. I don't know one way or the other. Ray in Milwaukee. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Ray. Okay, let's try Todd in Brookfield. Hi, Todd. Hey, how you doing? Good. I, I, hate to I hate to break ranks with the violators here, but from the standpoint of a property owner, 
Yeah, a couple things you said just didn't make sense to me. First off, going back to having the police issue these tickets, you've already defined the fact that the police are not available to do that. The second thing you also call it anti-consumer with regard to this current practice. Mm -hmm. The consumers are the individuals that are paying the tenancy rates or they're customers of the business. Well, what about the last guy? What about the guy who says, I'm parked in my space, my meter, my, my ticket has fallen off, and they're hauling my car away? He's the okay, consumer. There, there, is a, there is a vehicle, there is a mechanism to provide protection for the cars that are justified to be there. The fact that the general, it fell off, well, hmm. I have no idea. Same situation with, well, I parked in my buddy's space. Yeah. I'm sure apartment complex or a business, first off, these these. Vehicles are being towed because there's an open order to the tow to the yeah, tow trucks, right. and they're given a list of authorized vehicles. Right. Any business has the capability to tell the tow truck operator, okay, or some mechanism, this particular vehicle is now authorized. You can call in for overnight parking on Milwaukee streets yep. the same way. Otherwise, if you're in an unauthorized parking area, overnight parking, you're towed away. Yeah, I understand. I, so I'm going to visit. I'm going to visit my mom. My car is not the authorized car. I park in her parking space, and my car gets towed. All right, you're that that seems right to you. Space, yeah. you're, first off, you're there, not not authorized, or you're not there legally, correct? I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I mean, my mother's parking car, space. It's vacant. There. You, you don't have a problem with car, that. Wouldn't be identified either. Pardon me. If your mom rented a car, it wouldn't be identified right. on the list either. Right, yeah. So there has to be some effort on the part of the individual who who owns that or controls that space as a part of their tenancy to basically say to the office. Well, or what the about manager, what about then saying call and making a complaint? Hey, there's somebody in my parking space. You can you think about and I'm being fair. You think about the volume of people that park illegally overnight. But this is how it always used to be. You call the cops, they come and they'd have the parking checkers. No, well, it, that, it, it was only a. Thank, I'm sorry. I, see, I just disagree. About, no, look, I just disagree with you on this. I understand that it is frustrating for cars to be bailed, you know, to to be abandoned in somebody's spot. But the bottom line is, what is happening is these bottom feeding tow truck companies decide that what they're going and this is consistent with my beef about parking checkers who come and they sit and they chicken hawk the parking meters and they write tickets for somebody who's parked 10 minutes overtime when you're trying to run out this is the same sort of thing yes i think it is anti-tenant i think it's anti-consumer i don't think it is unreasonable to say you know we want to have some authority before you tow somebody's car milwaukee hire more parking checkers or whatever let the parking checkers write the citation but simply allowing these renegade tow truck companies to run through parking lots at three o'clock in the morning hauling cars away that aren't causing any problems aren't causing any problems at all leads to some of these abuses and i guess that's why i think this was a bad law i understand that some of the landlords absolutely love it because it makes it easier for them to get rid of cars, and they don't care whether the cars are there for a justifiable reason or whether they're parked there for three days. I get it. I just think this law goes too far. 1229, Jeff Wagner. Under the streets of your town Be it Edsel or Chevy There's no car too heavy And no one can make us shut down 
1236, Jeff Wagner. WT, I'm sorry, I, there, I, I never miss a chance to play the late, great Steve Goodman. That's a song called Lincoln Park Pirates, referring to these tow truck operators that operate kind of like we have in Wisconsin. Hey, hey, tow them away. There's just one more text on this. Just to understand what, what's going on here. Guy texts, he says, here's the deal. Uh, my mom, a couple months ago, south side, my mom wasn't answering the phone. She has a parking spot, but she doesn't have a car. So I'm worried that something's wrong. I go over to her place. I park in her parking space. I go into her apartment. I'm in her apartment checking on her. I see flashing yellow lights. I look out. There's a tow truck putting my car on on a hook. He says, I flew out of the door. The guy said, I don't belong here. Well, I said, oh, look, okay, I'm in my mother's parking space. Doesn't matter. Um, did anybody complain? No, nobody complained. And but they're jacking up the guy's car. So, I mean, I just I get, again, the purpose of the law. Landlords want to make it easier to stop them being taken advantage of. I just think this law, it's gone too far in giving these, again, tow truck operators the ability to tow cars without any sort of determination about whether maybe or not there's a reason for that car there. Just saying. All right. Tomorrow. Big Radiothon. Eric Bilstadt's been doing a, a really incredible WTMJ Cares event, and and tomorrow we're kind of sort of winding it down. So, Eric, let's talk a little bit about it. Yeah, so thanks for having me. Yes, we're trying to raise the beam. You've heard about it, Jeff. There is a steel beam. It's six feet long. It's 2,200 pounds. It's from the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And currently, right now, it rests in the center of Kewaskum. And it will eventually become the focal point of a large 9-11 memorial right there in the center of this village in Washington County. And we want to help them do that. It's phase one, and that's raising this beam, putting it up in the air, having it point toward New York for all to see, to gather at this site. It's a $40,000 endeavor, and uh, we're winding down our WTMJ CARES project right now, and it will uh, culminate tomorrow, hopefully, raising all that money for a radiothon. Uh, but you don't have to wait. You, you can donate now if right. you'd like, and you can just go to WTMJ.com and see all the pictures and see what it's going to look like and donate if you so choose. Um, and what has drawn me to this project is that there are so many just different facets. There are so many different facets of that day of people coming together, of, of people doing extraordinary things. That's the term that Gordon Haberman uses all the time. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things at a time when all of us were on bended knee, when all of us were dealing with this tragedy. And what's drawn me is that you're seeing it happen again now. You're seeing this family help push this effort to create this memorial and you're seeing ordinary people again doing extraordinary things coming together to help this happen by offering a crane to help lift this right. up in the air to offer money to offer uh, services material everyone in this village and beyond are coming together to help make this happen and it, it's almost a microcosm of what we saw 17 years ago now, and this is also just Really, the first part of what is going to be a much larger yes. effort, right? Mm -hmm. It's phase one. There's also going to be an aspect that will honor the U.S. military and those who enlisted after 9-11 and, and many who are no longer with us. They will be honored. Uh, there's also going to be a first responders piece to this with, of course, the firefighters and the police officers who gave their lives running into this building or standing post while the rest of us were running out of the building. You will also see a ground zero uh, monument there where you're honoring those who worked there that day who went there and spent weeks and months some of them are no longer with us who breathe the toxic air uh, and perhaps most importantly is the educational component I mean one of the phases will be an amphitheater for people to come and sit and hear speakers address 
the crowd, whether it's a field trip and students, or maybe it's Harley riders, or maybe it's a, a night program where adults can come. The idea is to remember and learn and educate, and most importantly, not to forget what happened on that day. Um, it's really cr- rather remarkable. And I even go a step further, Jeff. Think about this. Think about like any uh, motorcycle groups that would drive through there on 45. I mean, this is a fairly well-used road in that area who could then actually benefit the community by stopping at the shop, stopping at the Piggly Wiggly right. or some of the other shops in that area. So it's really all-encompassing. Um, and we're trying to raise $40,000 by raising this beam and if you text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 414-799-1620, we'll send you back all the information you need. If you're not comfortable donating online, and I know a lot of people aren't comfortable doing that, there is an address on that website right. for sending a check if you'd like to do so that way as well. Right. And the Radiothon tomorrow? Yes. So from 9 until noon tomorrow, Steve has generously given up parts of his show tomorrow so we can... Uh, just open up the phone lines and make it super easy for you. You just call up and uh, we'll give you all the information you need to be able to make a donation. And we're hoping we can really, really, really get to that uh, that point. $40,000 would be nice, but I'm willing. Anything we can get, we'll take it to help raise this. Uh, well, as you said, it's also phase one. So yes. you got to get, get past phase one. But if raise more than forty grand, then you're on, no, it goes on to phase, phase two. two. Yes, absolutely. 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 So, uh, again, WTMJ Cares, the, the contact information, on the, what should they text? Uh, 414-799-1620. You text right. CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to that, or go to WTMJ.com. Of course, thanks to First Bank Financial Center for all their work as well presenting this for us. So, yes, it's a it's a big endeavor, but I'm hoping we can get there. Outstanding. Eric Bilstead, thanks, thanks so much for all you do. It is a very, very worthwhile cause. All right, President Trump, in the news um, with an interview he gave that's supposed to be aired the next couple days where he talks about wanting to end birthright citizenship. What is birthright citizenship? Well, it's, it, the, the slang term for birthright citizenship is, is anchor baby. And now lots of groups become, find that term to be offensive. But the idea behind birthright citizenship is a simple one. If you, if someone is born in the United States, Regardless of the nationality of the parents, regardless of whether the parents are in the country legally or not, if you are born inside the United States, you are a citizen of the United States. All right, so the, the term anchor baby, which I understand is, is slang and, and some people are offended by that. It, it, the argument is it's the, the child. Okay. So let's say you have two people who are in the country illegally from wherever. They have a child. That child is now a U.S. citizen. That child becomes the anchor, making it more difficult to deport mom or dad because the child is, is in the country legally and therefore the child is a citizen. Now, where does birthright citizenship come from? It actually, it's the, if you look at the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, it says all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. That is the 14th Amendment. When that amendment was passed, it really had nothing to do with people coming into this country illegally or or legally. What it was meant to do, and this amendment goes back to post-Civil War days, and the amendment was intended to make clear that a black person was a citizen. 
So no argument at, at all that you know if you were a, if you were a slave in in 1850 and the slaves have been freed. Okay, well, what is their legal status? This amendment was intended to make clear that in the demise of slavery, everybody is a citizen. So it doesn't matter if you were born as a slave or as you were born as a quote unquote free person or whatever. You are a citizen. That was that was the real purpose behind the Fourteenth Amendment. But but over the years. It has been used and now is most commonly viewed as, as a way of somebody who's in this country illegally. You have a baby and that child is now a citizen. So in any event, President Trump comes in and he's now saying, I, I, I think we need to end birthright citizenship. There are other countries, including Canada, that, that have this. I would say the majority of developed countries don't. Um, the majority of developed countries, merely by virtue of the fact that you are born in that country, doesn't mean that you are a citizen of that country. Your citizenship, of course, depends on, you know, your the nationalities of your mom and dad. President Trump in this interview says we're the only country in the world where a person comes in, has a baby, and the baby is essentially a citizen of the United States for 85 years with all those benefits. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it has to end. Again, he, he's not right that we are the only country, but we... We, we are one of the few countries, I think, that has that. And President says, President Trump says, this is important to change this because we, we want to discourage people from coming into this country illegally. And birthright citizenship is one of those things that, hey, come into this country illegally, have the child, and it's going to be more difficult to deport you. That is what the argument is. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. President Trump is suggesting he can end this practice with an executive order. I think he's wrong. Uh, I think at minimum you would need a change in the law and you might need a change in the Constitution because, again, of the 14th uh, Amendment. He says he could do it by executive order. I don't think he's right. I, I think it's a much more complicated process. But let's not talk about the process. Let's not talk about whether President Trump could end it, like he says, by an executive order. Let's talk about the concept. Is birthright citizenship, again, something that was really designed initially to make clear that slaves, people who were born into slavery, were in fact citizens? Is birthright citizenship something that we should continue to have in this country in 2018? whereby if you're born in the United States, you are automatically a citizen regardless of the legal status or the nationality of your parents. 414-799-1620, is it time to end birthright citizenship? We'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1240 HF Wagner, WTMJ. 1250, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so what are the numbers? All right, the last numbers I can find are 2013. They say about 295,000 babies were born to unauthorized immigrant parents in 2013, making up about 8% of the 3.9 million U.S. births that year. All right, so we're talking about a substantial number of, of children who become citizens even though their parents are in this country illegally. I don't think it's as easy to change this as President Trump would have you believe. But regardless, I mean, does it make sense that where you're born should define whether you are a U.S. citizen or not? Jim in Kenosha. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? What do you think? 
Well, uh, personally, I am in favor of President Trump's stance on that. I think our whole immigration policy needs to be overhauled, and that's a small part of it. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted you what I wanted you to know is, I worked for a company that did a lot of importing from China and Asia, and occasionally some of the stuff that would come in would be packaged in some of their newspaper, and they actually run ads there for trips for pregnant moms to come to the United States (laughs) to have their babies and um, get that U.S. citizenship. So really, I mean, they're they're touting that, hey, I'm I'm running Jeff's travel agency, and if you're you're due to give birth in a week or two, let's get you to the U.S., because if you happen to give birth in the U.S., your child is then a U.S. citizen automatically. Absolutely. I can can tell you I have seen the ads myself, and it's not just (laughs) from China, but from the other, other countries there. And that is a big thing for them. Um, thanks, Nicole. I, I See, I, here's, I, I understand when I go down this route, I tick some people off, but this, this doesn't make any sense to me. This policy has never made any sense to me. I mean, I understand the 14th Amendment, and, and clearly if you're born, you know, the, the idea it was intended that if you are a slave, you're, you're clearly, a, if you were born as a slave, you're, you're clearly a citizen. But the idea that you can come into your parents can come into this country illegally and merely by virtue of the geographic location as to where you are born that automatically makes you a US citizen i i tell you that makes absolutely that makes no sense to me from any sort of reasonable policy ground it it just it just doesn't um i i I I try to think of a way to justify this. And matter of fact, I I know there's some people who, whenever I talk about this, they say, "Oh, you're just uh, again, you're this being this ugly American, and don't you understand that you know we the Statue of Liberty has her arms open up and things like that." Well, I, I, I get all that, but that always related to legal immigration and the idea that you can be in this country with no tie, no legal ties to this country at all, but simply. Mom gives birth, and that in and of itself makes you a citizen and entitles you to all the rights and benefits of citizenship, even though you and your parents have no legitimate or legal ties to this country. It, from Again, from a policy perspective, my question would be why? What, what, what do we gain by doing that? How, how does that make the country better? Why are you, in fact, a, a citizen by virtue of the fact that, like our last caller is talking about, you, you see some ad, you say, oh, I'd love to have my child, you know, have dual citizenship or whatever. So here, I'm nine months pregnant. I'm coming over there and I'm going to hang out a- until I give birth because then my, my child is going to be a citizen. And again, if, if this was, if we were talking about five or ten births a year, uh, you, you kind of say, who cares? But we're not talking about five or ten births a year. We're talking about tens of thousands of births, which is why birthright citizenship, again, from a policymaking perspective, has never made any sense to me. It's not as easy as the pre- – I don't think it's as easy as the president says to to rescind this. But at the same time, it doesn't mean – that we shouldn't take a hard look at it, and I would be all in favor of that. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I admit I'm a little bit surprised. We started off the program yesterday talking about the, the debacle, or at least the bad result that the Packers had in Los Angeles on Sunday. They lose by two points, and again, in any sort of game, you can go back and you can look at different moments. But I think nobody can argue that one of, and perhaps the largest defining moment, was with a little more than two minutes left, 
The Rams ahead by two points. They kick off. The kick returner, Ty Montgomery, who's now in his fourth year with the Packers, um, he gets the ball. He's in the end zone. He makes the decision to run the ball out of the end zone, and he's tackled around the 20-yard line. He's carrying the ball like a loaf of bread. They knock it out. He fumbles, and the Rams end up running out the clock. The general thinking was that, hey, you get Aaron Rodgers the ball with two minutes left, and you need three points, that's a good deal. You're going to take your chances on that. And apparently Montgomery was instructed before the kickoff, don't run the ball back. He did run the ball back. Now, the dazzling detail, again, from yesterday afternoon was that a number of teammates said that Montgomery was unhappy with being removed in an earlier sequence, and he was throwing a, a tantrum on on the bench, Um Let's see, The one of the websites that was covering this reported that uh, six Packers coaches and players had said Montgomery was frustrated when he came off the field for a second down play with about six minutes left in the game, categorizing his actions as a tantrum when he slammed his helmet on the sideline. But McCarthy makes it very clear that, that he told him not to run the ball out of the end zone. That's what the, the coach w- was saying, and... Nevertheless, Montgomery made the decision to run the ball out of the end zone, and we all know how that turned out. Now, we had a conversation yesterday for about 20 minutes, and my position was, I think they should cut it. I mean, I just, I don't care whether you're a football player or whether you're a guy that works in an insurance agency or a radio station or sweeps the streets or whatever. If your boss gives you a direct instruction, don't do this or do this, and you decide that you are going to ignore it, you know, you're, you're being disobedient, um, and you you, you got to go. And if it turns out that not only are you being disobedient to that, but it, it turns out to completely blow up in, in your face. You're told not to do something. You do it anyways, and it ends up being a huge blunder that costs your team a game or costs the company dollars or whatever. Uh, of course, you, you end up having having to go. And I think that was the the general sentiment. I said I think I would have cut him on the plane on the way home. Many of you said you would cut him in in the locker room. Well, at his press conference yesterday afternoon after my show, President uh, President um, Mike McCarthy and I I have been a fan of Mike McCarthy over the years. McCarthy gave no indication at all that he was planning to cut Ty Montgomery. In fact, he apparently seemed to defend you know what what the action was he said that uh, essentially you know i i he made a mistake um but beyond that there didn't appear to be any sort of consequences or, or repercussions or anything like that and so he still remains on the team now one of the things that's going on is the packers play the new england patriots this week and if montgomery were to have been cut say yesterday or today chances are that he would have been picked up. New England could have put in a claim for him. They could have picked him up, and then they would have had him for the weekend to share Packers signals and signs and anything like that. So it is perhaps a tactical thing to not cut him early in the week so he could be picked up by a guy like Bill Belichick. But beyond that, um, Mike McCarthy, again, was defending Montgomery, and at least based on his remarks yesterday, apparently – you know, has no intention of, of cutting him, again, unless there's a tactical thing that's going on. All right, just one segment, and I, I admit I'm a bit surprised by this. Our number, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I, I actually think, moving forward, if, 
if Mike McCarthy is fired as the coach at the end of this year, if the Packers don't suddenly go on a winning streak, make the playoffs, whatever, I think you can look back to this as a turning point in in McCarthy's career. At, at some point in time, it sounds like you're kind of losing the team. And if you instruct a, an employee, in this case a player, to do something and they disobey you, and you essentially say there's not going to be any consequences for this, or you leave the player on the team, I think that's a pretty good indication that you, you've you lost the team. And I, I this is a bigger issue, I think, than Ty Montgomery. I think this goes to McCarthy's tenure at the Packers. And I, I've been a fan of Mike McCarthy for years, but, you know, the 2010 Super Bowl is a long time ago, and it's getting longer. 414-799-1620. Does, does Montgomery have to go? And if he doesn't, is that does that say more about Mike McCarthy perhaps than it does about anything else? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a minute. Packers Nation, what do you think? It's one thirteen. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One sixteen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The holidays are right around the corner, and we are back with our annual holiday radio show. WTMJ presents. The Night Before Christmas, starring the incomparable Gene Miller, the one and only Jane Matinere, yours truly, and a sleighful of Wisconsin celebrities from Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 6.30. The live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience. You can be part of it. Buy tickets now. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. Gru, who's producing the show today and always, we had some friends over for uh, dinner last night, and the subject of the Christmas play came up, and... All, all I know is it was actually my assignment today was to buy four tickets to the Christmas show. And I said, all right, I'll, I will I will take care of that. So however many we had in the morning, by the end of the day, we will have four less. It typically sells out relatively quickly. All right, one of the interesting things about Mike McCarthy as, as coach of the Green Bay Packers is, as a general rule, professional coaches, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, I guess to an extent too, they don't have a long shelf life. I mean, there there are exceptions, Bill Belichick being one. But but generally speaking, you know, a lot of teams turn over their coaches or managers every X number of years, five, six, seven years. Uh, McCarthy's in his 13th season. Part of the reason that turnover occurs is I think, unlike a college coach where the players turn over every couple years, uh, for a prof- in a professional situation, the, the players, you're dealing with the same nucleus of players year after year after year. And I think sometimes the players at some point in time just get tired. They tune out a particular coach after a while. They, they've, they've heard it all, and you know coaches struggle to continue to remain innovative and things like that. And I candidly, I think Mike McCarthy, who I like, is is sort of at that stage now. And I think it's a very, very precipitous time as the Packers say, okay, is this guy going to be our coach Moving forward, he's got one more year left on his contract. I, I think this Ty Montgomery thing is a big deal, simply because not just that it costs the Packers a game, but if it turns out that the the player knowingly and intentionally disregarded an order from the head coach, and then, of course, you have these disastrous results, what what message do you send to the team if, if you don't cut it? 414-799-1620. Now, again, simply because they didn't do it yesterday doesn't mean that they're not going to do it. It might be tactically they're going to wait till later in the week. But you, you wouldn't have been able to tell anything like that from from Mike McCarthy's press conference. He said, well, the guy made a mistake. I don't know. We're moving on. Well, yes. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. 
Yeah, I, my thoughts are that uh, he has to get cut, or McCarthy's going to lose his job. Uh, basically, if you're letting Ty Montgomery make his own call, disregard the coach, what are other players going to think? There's going to be a team of uh, 11 guys doing what they want instead of listening to the coach. Well, you know, that's it. And the, the truth is, um, in, in the NFL and in the NBA as well, and, and baseball as well, perhaps, sometimes you've got, you've, you, you've got different standards for different players, okay? Aaron Rodgers, my guess is Aaron Rodgers and, and uh, Mike McCarthy have a kind of different relationship, and Aaron Rodgers perhaps might follow ins- not follow instructions all the way, but he's Aaron Rodgers. And and you maybe the reality is like it or not. Sometimes you have to make allowances for the superstars. Ty Montgomery ain't a superstar. He's he's just not. Well, that's right. Yeah. No. Thanks for the call. I mean, that's. I, I mean, he's just not. But I, I guess from a perspective of trying to keep the locker room, how how can you not send a message by getting rid of somebody who uh, again is uh, look? I I can't play pro football. So, I'm, but I mean, who who is in the overall scheme of things? An, an average sort of player. I mean, yes, he, he's a quality NFL player, but he's an average player. It's not like he's one of the top 10 or 15 players on on the team. But I think, again, the larger issue is, from the perspective of the coach, if you keep a player like this, you know, who's violating direct instructions, if that is, in fact, what happened, well, then, you know, how do you how do you keep the trust of, of a locker room? And, and forget about the context of football. I mean, imagine, again, in a work context, you're the boss. You give your sales force instructions. This is how we're going to do something. And one of the salespeople says, well, screw you, boss. I know better. I'm going to do it my own way. And then it ends up costing the account. How, how can you How can you just ignore that? Tony and Slinger. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Yeah. So I was listening to uh, some of Ty Montgomery's earlier press conferences. And from he, what he made it sound like is he – made a judgment call based on whether or not he thought the ball was going to be in the end zone. He didn't know if his knee, if yeah. he would kneel it down, would be on the goal line. So he decided to take it out. Now, as far as letting him go and his outburst of emotion, that's obviously poison for a team. But I also think it sends a message when you keep a guy like that because it says to your players that we're going to be a team through the thick and the thin. No matter if you make a judgment call, mistake here or there, we're going to stick, stick with you. And I'm, I'm a little bit of an optimist, so I think it would be a great thing to keep him because it's, it could turn into a great story. Well, what about if the players don't believe that? I mean, I understand that's his story and his justification, but if you're told to just let the ball go um, and and you don't let the ball go. I, right, yeah, I mean, he obviously could have let it drop and it could probably would have bounced in the end zone. But yeah. If he's lying there, that's a judgment call they're going to have to make in the, in the right. locker room. Now I'm not there. I can't, I can't right. act like I know better, but... If if it was an honest mistake, I think they they should definitely keep him. Well, th- thanks for call. I guess I don't. If if my coach tells me, and, and and he was in the end zone, I mean, so it's either bad judgment, um, or or just petulance, or I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what an honest mistake is. I mean, if 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 the boss instructs you to do something things a certain way, and you decide that I I'm not going to do it that way. I, I guess, yeah, you can say, well, I made a mistake. It was, and I, I heard him. He said, well, I, you know, I got it, and I was in the end zone, but I wasn't sure. And so I, but, but the, the bottom line is, you've been told 
you know, you'd been told not to bring it out of the end zone. So why, why don't you line up three yards deeper or something and, and then not have this issue? I mean, I think a lot of people, at least on the team, believe that he just didn't like being pulled from the game and he was going to bring it back. But, but regardless, the consequences were so great. And if you decide that he, he really did disobey a direct order, how, how can you not, you know, get, get rid of him? Um, let's talk to Aaron on the South Side. Aaron, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, I think what a lot of people don't understand that don't follow football closely is what I think the Packers are going to do today. They have until 3.30 p.m. Central Time to uh, trade him onto the trade deadline. Today's right. the last day to trade, and you got till 3.30. So I think what they're trying to do now is they're trying to deal him. And if, they, stop him. and if they can't deal him, then maybe they cut him. Right. I don't know actually what's going to happen, but I think they're trying to deal him, maybe get a sixth or seventh round draft pick. Right, and, then, and again, if they had cut him yesterday... He, he goes on waivers. First of all, they don't get anything for him, you know, with a trade like you're talking about. But also he goes on waivers, and you can see a guy like Bill Belichick swooping in, picking him up just for the weekend to pick his brain on Packers plays or something like that in advance of next week. Correct. Do you think – let me ask you this. Do you think he's on the team next week? No. No. I – I um, thanks, I, I agree. I, I, I think – I think something's got to happen, right? And I guess I, I hadn't really thought about the upcoming trade deadline and the fact that they were playing New England next week, which would be a basis for, again, keeping him a couple days. But I, I think I think McCarthy just, you know, at some point in time, you, you have to do these things. And, you know, if you look at life in the NFL, sometimes there, there's talented players that, and players quite candidly, a lot more talented than Ty Montgomery, that get let go because, you know, they, they couldn't follow instructions or or whatever. And it also sounds like Ty Montgomery's becoming a distraction. If you've got players and coaches who are saying anonymously, but still saying, hey, th- this guy threw a tantrum on the sidelines and, and we think that's why he did it, I just don't think that you can, you can have that on a team. Tom and Marinette. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Uh, good afternoon. I, I agree with you, and you just kind of said it. You know, Montgomery taking that kickoff out of the end zone, just kind of a microcosm. And now you have, which you never had before, not too much of in Green Bay, you've got internal strife, yeah. not only with the coach, because I think there's been a lot there with McCarthy, but you've got now players, because Montgomery, he was saying this week that uh, he was disappointed that his fellow teammates threw him under the bus. Right. That That's just, that's not good. And what he did... This tantrum, not running the kickoff, it's a microcosm of what's gone on, I think, over the last several years with the Packers. Right, which again makes you wonder whether it's time for Mike McCarthy to kind of move on. He's been there for 13 years, and that's like 120 in dog years. That's a long time I, to coach a team. I think I think Aaron Rodgers, who, who always says all the right things, I think Aaron Rodgers, deep down inside, and you can see it with his body language whenever you watch games, I think Aaron Rodgers would welcome a head coaching change. Yeah, no. I mean, thanks. To, I mean, the, the the I guess see that that's the question. If I'm the Green Bay general manager and I'm or I'm Mike Murphy, what I'm sitting there thinking is I, I have a limited window of time left with Aaron Rodgers, and that's just the reality. The clock is, is ticking, and if, if I've got X number of years, two, three years, four years, whatever that number might be, I, what I, I got to get back to the Super Bowl because that's what it's all about. And is Mike McCarthy the best guy to get me back to the Super Bowl? Or are, are we better bringing off somebody new? Or does that mean it's going to be a couple years of trying to figure out a new system? I mean, the, those are the equations that are going on. But to your point, if if there is strife in a locker room or something like that or detention, detention behind the scenes, and I don't care if it's the Green Bay Packers or 
you know, the, the Fudgy Wudgy Chocolate Pump Company, if you've got the scent behind the scenes that's now kind of spilling over into the public, well, you, you got to do something about it. Just saying. Yeah, here's a, here's a little text from the past. And, um, Gru, you probably don't remember this. Way before your time, Chucky Carr. Chucky Carr was an outfielder for the Milwaukee Brewers. And there was a deal where he, without going into too much detail, they had given him the take sign. It was 3-0, and three balls, no strikes. They give him the take sign to, to, to walk. And he, he swings, and he ends up making an out. And so they ask him afterwards, why did you ignore the take sign and, and not just take the walk and swing? And he said, Ch- Chucky swing. Actually, he said, at Chucky hacks uh, on a 3-0 and count. You know, Ch- Chucky hacks. And they released him the next day. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, well, okay, Chucky can go hack somewhere else. All right, 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You already love his movies. Now he hopes you'll love his stand-up act. Jub Apatow is coming to Milwaukee. First, he previews his show with Gene Miller. That's at 821 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Be sure to check that out. Okay, when I, I... we moved here when I was like nine years old, and I grew up, I've told people, I, I grew up in Glendale, um, right by Nicolet High School, and I have Bayshore Shopping Center. At the time at the time we moved here, which would be in the late 1960s, uh, Bayshore Shopping Center was essentially an L-shaped strip mall. Now it's a town, then, then it was an enclosed mall, now it's an enclosed mall and part of a town center. But, but back in the day, it was an L-shaped strip mall. So I, I'm... I probably didn't do this when I was in fifth or sixth grade, but certainly by the time we were in middle school. And this, if if you hear my story and you kind of roll your eyes and go, "Oh, I must have had lousy parents," no, I, I had I had great parents and my friends had great parents, but it was a different time. And I, I'm pretty, I'm sure it was when we were like in seventh and eighth grade. I had I had a, my, my hangout gang, a bunch of our our friends, maybe three, four, five of us, and what we would do on Saturdays is we would go downtown we'd go down to wisconsin avenue now how would we get downtown well okay we're we don't have driver's license or anything we would take the bus and we would pick up i want to say it's the number it was the number 10 i'm trying i'm trying to think but it was the oakland delaware and you, and you go to bayshore so like we'd, we'd get the bayshore we'd walk our parents would drop us off like early on a saturday morning we'd hop on the bus we'd go we'd take the bus downtown it would drop us off on wisconsin avenue and water street that corner and then we'd hang out for for hours down downtown you know you you'd walk along and back back in the day downtown it was like a thriving shopping thing you know they you, you had boston store you had you had gimbals that you could go to you had all these different you know restaurants many of which were very very informal and you'd kind of what we would do is we would work our way, we'd start at Wisconsin and Water, and we kind of work our way, you'd go over the bridge, and we'd work our way up Wisconsin Avenue, and a lot of times we'd end up at the uh, public library, up at, at the top, Ninth in Wisconsin, or whatever that is, and then we'd kind of work our way back, and that's that's how we would spend Saturday afternoons, and we'd hop on the bus, we'd, we'd go back, and um, you know end up going home. That's how we, we would spend Saturdays. But there were all these different stores, you go into. There used to be a, a Schwartz bookstore. It was a used bookstore on the north side of Wisconsin Avenue. I could kill 45 minutes or an hour just in, in the basement. They had more paperback books than I'd ever seen in my life. And they were always like ridiculously low priced. And I'd, I'd always, you know, for, for $2, you could buy like five or six paperback books. It, it was, it was, it was just great. It was one of the things we did. And there were all sorts of interesting stores along the way. One of the stores that we always 
went into. And this goes back, again, we're talking the 60s or early 70s, um, was this Army-Navy surplus store on 707 West Wisconsin Avenue. And it was, I, I don't know, it was just, it was kind of, it was a cool store. And, and you'd walk in there, and it had everything from pocket knives to military apparel. You know, fatigue jackets were big at the time. You could buy a fatigue jacket. This this this, this Army-Navy surplus store just had everything. I didn't smoke, and I remember they, they had cigarette lighters. They just had rows and rows of cigarette lighters. I never bought one, but they kind of looked cool because they had these different things on. It just, the store had just absolutely everything in it. And again, just like I could kill all this time in in the bookstore, we we'd, we'd we'd kill all sorts of time in the Army Navy store. And I'm sure there's stuff I don't remember buying anything there, but I'm sure there's stuff my friends bought and all, just because it had like like everything, and it had these kind of most of the stuff had a military theme, but not necessarily. So why am I telling you about this Army Navy surplus store? Well, because that Army Navy surplus store is still there. It's still there. That same Army-Navy surplus store that I used to patronize riding down on a Saturday afternoon on the bus is still there, but but not for long. Journal Sentinel has a story today. The Again, this is a place that's been there for more than 50 years. Uh, Journal Sentinel story says it sells military gear like fatigue jackets, grenade pouches, meals ready to eat. <laughs> it's been selling all these things, and now it is apparently closing. There's a sign up on the door that says, everything must go. And according to the Journal Sentinel, they say everything inside is $5, cash only. And the, the owner was working at the counter, you know, didn't say anything other than the fact that it's going to close soon. But this was, this was something that was there for 50 years. And stores come and stores go. And I, I, I know, I mean, I went to Marquette Law School. I mean, I drive up and down Wisconsin Avenue a lot. And I, I always see this Army Navy surplus store. And I always keep thinking, man, it's amazing that this store has been there for all these years. But it's not. I mean, it, it is now going away. It is going the way of Boston Store, and it's going the way of Northridge, and it's going the way of so many other places. And I, I mean, I, I, I get it. I'm kind of amazed that it was able to, to stay in business for, for 50-plus years. But it is, it is a part of my childhood because as I was thinking about it after seeing the story, I mean, I'm having all these vivid recollections of my friends and I riding down the bus and walking up Wisconsin Avenue, and a couple of those friends are still here, and a couple have passed away, and I'm thinking, my gosh, it's another part of my childhood, and, and, and it's closing. So I wanted to move away from the politics of the day and all the relentlessly bad news and things that have been going on for a couple of days, and I, I, I just, in recognition of this store that was a place that I used to patronize a long time ago, finally saying, okay, we're, we're, we're throwing in the towel and closing. I wanted to take a, a walk down memory lane, open up the phone lines, our number 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We do this from time to time. Something that you really miss, uh, uh, and maybe it was from your childhood, maybe it was from your adolescence, maybe it was from your young adulthood, um, I, I don't know, but, but something that you used to really like doing, a place you used to really like going, a store, a restaurant, or whatever, that you, you went to a lot that, that's now closed, that you, you never thought would necessarily close, but now it's gone. Gone, but not forgotten. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and my guess is, for a place that's been in business in downtown Milwaukee for 50 years, this Army-Navy store is going to be one that fits that category, gone but not forgotten. 
What's your place? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss in just a moment. 142, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Our texts are pouring in. Uh, let's see. I, I miss the Moon Fun Shop. Yeah, the Moon Fun Shop was a combination. It was kind of across the street from the, this Army-Navy surplus store that's closing. It was a combination Joke store head shop, you know, lots of lava lamps and black light posters and that kind of stuff and 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 bongs and things like that as well. Yeah, you had the moon fun shop, but it also had like magic tricks and things like that that were there. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mark in Wauwatosa. Hi, Mark. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Hey, likewise, I went to Marquette and uh, would frequent the Army Navy surplus store and just walk and walk around there for an hour or so, but... <laughs> Just looking at stuff. They had all this stuff that was there. But just as cool was uh, about three blocks east of there, there used to be an old Woolworths there. And you could sit at the counter and order a banana split, the old-fashioned soda fountain banana split. And it had these little small helium balloons, you know, all hanging up. And you'd pick a balloon and then pop it. And whatever the tag was inside, you paid anywhere from a penny Oh. The thirty-nine cents for your banana split. Okay, I know, I, I know that Woolworths that you're talking about. Okay, yeah. no, yeah, no, thanks. I, I don't, you know, it's I, I miss those two. The, the and again, if we're talking, they're, they're used to like drug stores and and the the five and dime stores like the Woolworths. They used to have they'd have lunch counters and it, which were literally that there'd be a counter and then you you kind of sit on this stool there. I have really fond memories and it wasn't from Milwaukee, but it's my, my grandfather who passed away when my, it was by my father's father who passed away when I was 10, but he would, he would take me to this one particular drugstore and he'd sit and have a cup of coffee and smoke a cigarette. I wasn't supposed to say that he was smoking cigarettes. I wasn't able to tell my grandmother that. And he'd buy me like an ice cream soda. I just had such I have such great memories of, of that decades later, but it was at one of those lunch counter places like you're talking about. Let's talk to Andy in Milwaukee. Andy, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Love the show. Thank How you, you sir. Doing? I'm good. Okay. Gone but not forgotten. Goldman. Okay. On Mitchell Street. Mm-hmm. They, they had, had everything. If they did not have it at Goldman's, you didn't need it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And they had the counter like you're talking about with the hamburgers. Um, one thing that they had that was amazing was they had a lamp repair department, <laughs> and they had a guy who worked in there who was a, an, a well-known church organist and organ repair guy, and he could repair any lamp, you name it, he could repair it. And I swear my dad used to look for <laughs> reasons to go down just to see if he could fix something, but <laughs> it was an amazing experience. I got to take my kids there when they were small, especially around the holidays, and right. I, re- I really missed the smell yeah. Goldman's and you know it's just a great experience. It, it was it's it's interesting that you mentioned Goldman's because my my late wife that she grew up on Mitchell Street and that was before she went to law school and so that was her first job. She she worked she worked at Goldman's and I I, I want to say that was it the candy candy counter maybe I I forget I obviously didn't know her then by their candy counter and then I and I think she went on to be like a switchboard operator back when they had switchboard operators at like Gimbel's or something like that but Goldman's was just just legendary four one four seven nine nine one six twenty to that uh, Angel on the South Side Angel you're on WTMJ. Well, I was just going to mention Goldman's. I grew up by Mitchell Street on the South Side of Milwaukee, but. The other story that comes to mind is Herb, the working man's friend, where he <laughs> sold clothes for working people. Okay. And uh, great store. You can find anything you like there. So. 
And see, that's what I, I mean, thanks, those, those are those places that you kind of go, I can remember if you, you know, it was something obscure or whatever, but yeah, you, you could go in and you could, you could get it. Let's talk to Nick in Milwaukee. Nick, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Nick. Big fan of your show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that a lot. So I know it's not been gone long, but Milwaukee County Stadium. Uh-huh. I just, I, I miss the old dump. <laughs> well, let me let me tell you. It's it, it, you know um, the last couple, the first couple of years I was at TMJ were the last couple of years at County Stadium. So I got I got to kind of go into the underbelly of it, and it it, it might have been beloved, but you're right, it was a dump <laughs> inside. Oh, yeah. There's pipes that are falling down. I yeah, that was it. But but you you like you liked it, huh? I took a few walks in that underbelly as well. It was kind of like a dirt path, right? Like animals burrowing holes. <laughs> Yeah, my buddies and I used to come down and sit in the bleachers and catch home run balls, yeah. and we just have a blast. Yeah, that, it was it was a friendlier time. Yeah, it was, and I, I think I mean, and I I love County Stadium as well. Matter of fact, um, when when they were selling the stuff, I I I was going to buy a couple seats. You know, they were selling it, and I and that was at one point in time where your your wife looks at you with that look that. That all you you ladies have learned from your mother that look that says that I married a moron and the look was kind of like okay what explain to me Jeff you're going to buy a row of seats at County Stadium where what are we going to do with these and where are they going to go it's kind of like I've told the story before I always wanted to buy one of those big boys you know the things that were out talk about things people miss like the big boy restaurants I always wanted to buy like a giant big boy and and there was one on eBay years ago and it was it was like an eight foot tall big boy. And it was like thousands of dollars, but I was really, and I was seriously thinking of buying it. Well, I, I thought I might want it. And that was one where it's like, what are we going to do with an eight foot tall big boy? And I'd say we could put it in the yard, <laughs> you know, and it's, and then you get, you get that kind of look and it's like, okay, well, maybe that's not the greatest idea, but you know what I mean? 414-799-1620, Todd in Wauwatosa. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Good. Yeah, the women in our lives save us from ourselves. You know that <laughs> how often that happens. <laughs> yes. Hey, I love the show, love the topic. Thanks. And bringing back memories of uh, my adventures on the Mayfair Mall as a kid. Oh, Mayfair, yeah. Yeah. And basically, I had a little routine with some buddies. We go to Merle Harmon's, get our baseball pennants, football pennants, tuck around the corner to Hostam, get a hot pretzel. Right. Work our way to the center of the mall to the Herman's Sporting Goods store, spend more money, and then you sit at the ice rink trying to pick yeah. up girls. Yeah, well, you know, you know, I I will tell you. Matter of fact, I I have a a friend of mine um, was one of one of the the guys who was involved in the original development of Mayfair Mall and like leasing the places and all. And I, I always ask him about the ice rink, and and they put that ice rink in as a way of, of attracting people to do exactly that. I mean, for people who don't know, they had this indoor ice rink at, at Mayfair Mall, and and you could, I mean, you come to skate, but most people just came to watch the people who were skating. It was really cool. Yeah, I went there for a couple of school periods where we go for free lessons, and then afterwards, uh, many of the years, the grandparents would take us to McDonald's because McDonald's had windows overlooking the ice rink. Right. So you could people watch and eat a good cheeseburger <laughs> oh, well right thanks absolutely or no it was you know mayfair mall i mean again i grew up on glendale so that was kind of the other side of town so um we we didn't i would hang out more at northridge but you know back when there was a northridge but i mean that mayfair mall that that was always that was always a great thing as well dave on the south side dave you're on wtmj hi this this is uh uh, Gimbel's department store mm-hmm. downtown. The one downtown, Christmas right. Yeah. Christmas with Santa. They used to put a, a play on for the children. 
and they had all these characters, and they'd sing and dance around. And I raised three daughters, and of course, every Christmas we go up there for mm-hmm. breakfast. Is, didn't they have a train that ran around like yes. the, the top of the right, around, like at the ceiling? There was a train that ran all around there. Yeah, I think I believe that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and if you were still hungry, you go downstairs, and they had the uh, like cafeteria. Go yes, down and eat. yes. No, I think because that's where I mean. Think again on, on my on my Saturday treks. That's typically where we'd stop. That the bus would drop you off on on Wisconsin Water. You'd walk across the bridge, and the first store there was was Gimbel's. And it's it, it's when you saw how back in the back in the day, you know how thriving Wisconsin Avenue was. I mean, it was and and you know you might be sitting there saying your parents really let you take a bus down there when you were in like seventh or eighth grade. And the answer is yeah, they did because. It, it maybe it was just a different time, but there were there were all sorts of people. There was all stuff, sort of stuff going on. People came. People used to come, believe it or not, downtown, so they could they could end up, you know, shopping. No question about it. Eugene in Bayside. Eugene, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi. I remember as a child, my mother taking me to Capitol Court for the gingerbread house, the Cookie Cookie House. Yeah, but yeah. how about when they had the Monkey Island there? Huh, I'm not sure I remember that. I remember the Kooky Cookie House, of course, the yes, Capitol Court. Did. That's why I'm, I, I know I've seen it. Somebody else call in, tell me that I saw what I saw. <laughs> they had a monkey island there, like where live monkeys. Okay, got, they, they, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not with you. Capitol Court, of course, you know, used to be huge shopping center as well. They'd have movie theaters there. They had a fun land, I remember, like a, like a sort of a mini amusement park that you'd go to in the summer. And then winter, the big thing was the Kooky Cookie House. And, and you'd go there and you'd, you know, it was, it was all, it, somebody somebody has that around here. I'm not sure if it still exists in its form, but you could go through it. At the end, you'd get gingerbread cookies and stuff like that. Very, very, I mean, just, just a lot of fun. Let's talk to, uh, let's see. Rich in Kenosha. Rich, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. I miss the pipe organ in the Oriental Theater. I hope they bring something back there. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That was... I, I miss all those great old movie palaces. You know, I mean, I, and I understand nowadays everything's divided into three theaters and stuff like that, and you got the multiplexes, but it was just cool to walk into some. I used to go to the, the one in Whitefish Bay, you know, the Fox Bay. Now it's like three theaters, but back then it was one giant movie theater, and I just, I used to love those. It was just something special about going into those places. Right. Oriental's still there. Right. They no. do your pipe organ. Um, thanks. They, they there, took it out. There you go. Thanks for the call. Joe and Mequon. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Joe. Great topic. Thank you, sir. Yeah, uh, the River Lane Inn. Well, that was my that was my very favorite place. <laughs> that that was my very favorite restaurant. I used to go there certainly every Friday and and more than that as well out in Brown Deer. Well, as you may know, my wife Janet and I had a standing reservation there every <laughs> Friday night for about about five years. Yep. And the downside now is we don't know what to do on Friday night. <laughs> well, as, as, as you, I, I think, know, Joe, I, I brought a little bit of the River Lane home into my life because I married the woman who used to be the uh, who used to be the general manager there. So I, I've got a little yeah. bit of River Lane in, in my life too. Yeah, well, Janet and I know I, Janet and I know Fran well. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, the River Lane Inn, tremendous. Hey, thanks for the call, my friend. That's my friend Joe. Yeah, that's the River Lane Inn was a place that we used to go all the time. And um, yes, yes, my my wife used to be the general manager there a number of years ago. So I kind of brought a little bit of that home. All right, that, I'm, we're we're, we're going to move on. This was a lot of fun, jam phone lines and things like that. But it's I, I just I just got to thinking uh, again. When, when some of these stores, whether it's Boston store or, and I understand Boston store is a much bigger deal when that closes than a, an Army Navy surplus store, but still the place had been there for 50 years and it's closing. And my guess is a lot of you probably went in there at some point in time or another. And like one of our callers was saying, what a lot of stuff, <laughs> you know, just what a lot of stuff. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so at the end of the week, the flop, I mean the hop, the streetcar starts. And, and I, I, the, the mainstream media in this town is so completely in the bag for this streetcar. And, and it, it's just, it's one of these examples of, of where the, the, the media elite and the chattering class are just so far out of step with, with average citizens. Let me tell you what's going to happen, because you're already starting to see this. You're going to see the cover the newspapers and the TV stations, and it's going to be all this glowing stuff. Oh, this is, it's it's wonderful, and, and it, it smells so clean, and it's new, and all oh, this is tremendous, and we're riding around on this. And then, mark my words, Friday's going to come around, and there's going to be the, this this initial interest. And by the way, the rides are free. So you're going to have people that, you're, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll try this out. And I, I have no doubt, my, here's my prediction, for the first week or two weeks, you're going to have these stories, oh, this is just absolutely tremendous, and look at all these people are riding it, and the use is way above projections and all this type of stuff. And, again, because it's free, it, it's easy to have that happen. And then my prediction is the novelty is going to wear off. And then we're going to have December, and then we're going to have snow, and we're going to have ice. And, well, people are going to decide, maybe I I don't want to wait 15 to 18 minutes to pick up a trolley. It's going to take me another three or four blocks. And and then it's going to be curious to see whether you get the reality-based stories that are written then when it turns out that maybe this thing isn't the greatest thing since canned beer. Regardless, I will make this prediction ahead of time. I think... At some point in time, at some point in time, maybe it's five years, maybe it's ten years. It, it's it's not going to happen while Tom Barrett is mayor, but you know Barrett's not going to be mayor that much longer. Maybe he's got another term. I, I I don't know. But at some point in time, what's going to happen is you're going to have a new common council. You're going to have a new mayor. People who aren't kind of tied into we've dug in our heels to make this decision. Who are going to come in? They're going to take an objective look especially once people have to start paying to ride it. And again, my my prediction is certainly 10 years from now, certainly 10 years from now, any talk at all about expanding the streetcar throughout the entire city and spending hundreds of millions or a billion or billions of dollars to run it to the airport, any of that stuff, that, that's all going to go on the wayside because what we're going to realize is Unlike in some cities that are very dependent on on mass transit to get around, a novelty yuppie people mover um, at a cost of a hundred plus million dollars just really doesn't enhance the overall quality of life. Just saying, but you know, be prepared. You're going to have all these glowing reviews for the first few weeks, and then we'll try to see again if there's going to be any sort of critical analysis of this all at all. I'm not seeing much in the media right now. Everybody, oh, it's the streetcar. We've got the trolley. What's the old Simpsons things? Monorail, monorail. Oh, we've got the monorail. <sighs> all right.
let let's let's talk a little bit about the president. He's going to Pittsburgh. And I understand that Donald Trump is a controversial figure. I understand that, in my opinion, some Donald Trump is in some respects his own worst enemy. And, you know, we've talked about this constantly, the fact that it, it becomes occasionally difficult to separate the policy from the personality. And the fact that the president is, he, he's, he's a New York street fighter. And he, he feels compelled to, whenever he's attacked, he feels compelled to punch back. And that's, that's just, that is his style. Even when it might be in his best interest to just kind of let it go. And over the last two years, I mean, and I, I've commented on this repeatedly. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm amazed that the president chooses to pick some of the fights he chooses to pick instead of just ignoring it. But it is not his style. Whether, you know, it, he, he, he decides that he's always got to punch back. And I, I think, while that helps him with some constituencies, I, I think it, it hurts him overall. And, and so I, I, I understand all those issues, and I, I think in many respects he's extremely flawed. But the, at the same time, what's the old saying that just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't really out to get you? I think that there is an element of that that's there. I have I have been a news junkie all my life. And there have been, I mean, there, there's no secret that there is a, a liberal bias to the, the mainstream media. That That's not a secret. And there have been times where the, the press has decided that they are effectively, figuratively speaking, and are going to go to war. I mean, I, I, I lived through the Watergate era. I mean, and you, I remember, I remember the coverage that Richard Nixon got, and Richard Nixon deserved most of the coverage that, that he ended up getting. I, I say this, though. I don't know that there has ever been a time, and I include the Watergate time, where I have seen a, a mainstream media that is is more anti a president than than the one is now. I mean, I've told this story before on Showtime. They, they had this documentary called The Fourth Estate, which showed how the New York Times covered the first year of the Trump administration. And it was just apparent. You watch this documentary, and it's kind of interesting. And again, I, I understand the president brings some of it on himself. But th- these reporters, they loathed President Trump. And that, that's the word. They loathed him. And they made no secrets about the fact that they, they loathed him. And they decided that they were going to do everything they could to, uh, again, you know, he's lying about this. He's lying about that. It was a type of coverage that I don't think you've seen involving any president, at least since the, the Watergate era. And I understand that when Ronald Reagan was the president, the, the press was not his friend. I understand that when, uh, especially when George W. Bush was the president, the press was not his friend. But, but it was nothing like what goes on now. So the, you know, the president, in his desire to kind of punch back, uses the media as his, his whipping boy. And you, you've, you've seen a lot of this, you know, the, the press is the enemy of the people, all that. And I, and, and the media is not the enemy of the people. I don't buy that. But, but is there, I guess, an element of truth in what the president is talking about? Now, for example, here's what he said the other day in the wake of, in, in the wake of the, the pipe bombs that were sent out. The, the, one of the first things you saw, matter of fact, in the, 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 the first New York Times story that, that came out, the third or fourth paragraph talked about how, okay, the guy was a Trump supporter and how, you know, maybe it was the Trump rhetoric that, that fired him up. So I, I don't remember 
when you had the Bernie Sanders supporter who who shot uh, Congressman Scalise. I don't remember a similar headline talking about, well, maybe Bernie Sanders' re- rhetoric was what was responsible or some of the other hate-filled rhetoric from the left was responsible for firing up the shooting. It, it didn't get that kind of coverage. So anyhow, here here's what the president, who again couldn't help himself, and this is what he tweeted on Sunday. The fake news is doing everything in their power to blame Republicans, conservatives, and me for division and hatred that has been going on for so long in our country. Actually, it's their fake and dishonest reporting, which is causing problems far greater than what they understand. Um, He then tweets, a very big part of the anger we see today in our society is caused by the purposely false and inaccurate reporting of the mainstream media that I refer to as fake news. It's gotten so bad and hateful that it is beyond description. Mainstream media must clean up its act fast. And then, you know, Sarah Sanders has a press conference the other the other day, and she's being asked questions about this. And one of the things she says is, look, the very first action the president did was condemn these heinous acts. And this is after the shooting at the synagogue. Very first action the president did was condemn these heinous acts. The very first thing that the media did was condemn the president. You guys have a huge responsibility to play in the divisive nature of this country. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't view the mainstream media as the enemy of the people. But but does the press have a role to play? And do they, to the extent that President Trump bears some responsibility for the divisiveness and the political climate that is out there, does the press bear some responsibility for that as well? 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, credit. We had that caller in the last hour who said, hey, I think what they're doing is, um, I, I think they're, I think the Packers are shopping him around. The trade deadline is three o'clock today. And, um, that appears to be the case. Ian Rappaport from NFL.com reporting, as Eric Bilstat just told you, that the Ravens are trading for Packers running back Ty Montgomery. Uh, no word as to what they're going to be getting in return for that. But I, I think it's pretty clear that you know, after all the events, and I'm not just talking about the fumble, people make mistakes, you know, they they, they do, but all the circumstances, I, I think Montgomery had to go, and if they could trade him, that's great. All right, 414-799-1620, here is my question. Uh, President Trump's declared war on the mainstream media, and he says, look, the, the, the mainstream media is responsible for the, the, this climate of hate that, that is out there. All right, I, I don't want to overstate this, but... Does the mainstream media bear at least some responsibility for this? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's start with Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, just the, um, I, I was actually stunned when I was watching Chris Wallace Sunday, and he showed, he, and the very, very first thing he brought up is the Washington Post newspaper, and he showed it, the front page where they were arresting the guy that did the shooting. and But the headline said, uh, uh, person arrested uh, because of, of uh, Trump's rhetoric. Right. Right, yeah. And, you can't and, have it both ways. Well, you know? yeah, I, I, you know, it, it look, and, and I mean, I don't think the mainstream media is the enemy of the people and all, but... But at the same time, while the president, like I say, is his own worst enemy, and he certainly foments this climate, 
the, the media plays into it as well. I mean, you just you see no positive stories about President Trump, and and it's always okay. It doesn't matter what Trump does. How can we figure out a way to to criticize him and try to make him look bad? And if you think that that doesn't play to a certain part of the electorate, I, I think it's naive. I mean, it's I think there's a lot of blame to go around on all sides in this one. Well, I'm sure there is. I mean, I I, I agree with you. I don't agree with uh, a lot of things or the way that it's said, you know, that Trump says, you know, but at the same time, you can't have a, a front page newspaper and saying it's all his rhetoric. Well, I mean, it, it just, it's going to be, the, I mean, thanks again. And it's, there are certain media templates that, that are out there and that's the way a story is going to be spun. And again, I, I, I go back to where you had the, the left wing nut job, you know, what was it, last year, a year and a half ago, who travels from Illinois to Washington with the high-power rifle, who's living out of his van and ends up shooting the Republican congressman. Well, okay, th- this guy was a Democrat activist. Now, I'm not blaming the Democrats for the fact that this nut job grabs a rifle and starts shooting, but but you don't see that. But that's not the way this is portrayed, whereas, you know, in this particular situation where you have a kook, that decides to send out all these different pipe bombs or whatever, well, okay, Trump is responsible for for this climate. I mean, the bottom line is lots of blame to go around, and I think there is, I think the mainstream media would do well to maybe be a little bit introspective on this and wonder, all right, are there times when we end up going too far, and do we on our own, to the extent we're going to talk about divisiveness, do we help fan those flames as well? And that's not a defense of some of the over-the-top things that President Trump says. 414-799-1620. Uh, Fred on the west side. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Jim. Uh, I, I think, you know, both have a have a responsibility, uh, you know, living in a democracy, and, and, and both are part of that democracy. Um, you know, you, you were talking about pushing back. the um, uh, uh, Trump likes to push back, obviously. Right. Uh, and uh, the, the media, too, uh, pushes back because, you know, uh, they're under attack. And Trump has right. a tendency to make it personal. Right. He makes personal attacks, and he singles out, you know, uh, certain uh, media right. in, in the democracy. And um, so, uh, and every day, uh, he likes to manage the news, and he has the bully pulpit. Yep. And the bully pulpit is far uh, more effective and stronger and, and gets more attention from different uh, news media. If uh, yeah. he doesn't like one, he goes to, you know, right. he has his favorite pick, you know, without getting, you know, personal as to, you know, which one or political right. and saying which one's more biased than the other. You know, there's bias, you know, all over the all over the place. But the president, most of all, being the leader, you know, the media isn't doesn't take a role of leadership where right. the president, like the Pope, you know, has this role. As a leader, and what he says means something to to the constituents, like in the Catholic Church, for example, when the Pope speaks, you better be listening. And I think his constituents feel the same way because they articulate, you know, his talking points, you know, and and so uh, that's all they have. So he should be more careful, Mm -hmm. you know. Oh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. Thanks for the call. And he... You, you raise an actually a really interesting point as well that you know we talk about the mainstream media like it's this giant monolith, 
but you, you know you were saying that the Trump tends to get personal. The mainstream media isn't isn't really a giant monolith. It, it's people. It, it's it's individuals. It's men and women. It's it's editors. It's reporters, and I think collectively, and I'm going to generalize now. I, I think a lot of a lot of reporters very very thin skinned, and and whether it's TV or the news media, they're very very thin skinned because they're not used to being being questioned. They're used to being the ones who say, "Okay, I'm." I'm going to be the arbiter of what's right, and I'm going to be the person that decides what gets reported and this facts, etc. They're not used to having somebody like President Trump who goes on and, and goes on the attack and calls them out. And again, I, I think I'm speaking in generalities. There's some of these people that are very, very thin-skinned, and they don't like it. And I get it. I mean, they, they don't like it. You've got the leader of the free world that's attacking them. So what that does is it makes them individually they get their backs up and I, I get it that's the natural thing you know like trump he feels he's being attacked he lashes out and i think you have individual reporters and editors and things like that who on the other side they feel they're being attacked and what they decide to do is they decide to hunker down and and they're you know they're going to double down it, it's human nature that all this stuff happens which is why again I think, and this is not a justification for some of the rhetoric you get out of the president, but I do think that some of the grown-ups in in perhaps the mainstream media would do well to kind of take a step back and say, "All right, are we in? Are we exceeding our role?" And, and yes, we're reporting, but let's look at the tone. Let's look at, at the temperature. Let's look at the way we're reporting some of this stuff. Are we being objective about this, or are we allowing the fact that we feel like we're under attack and we loathe this man and we don't think he has any business being White House, are we allowing that view to color the way that we present stuff? And to the extent the answer is yes, all right, maybe there is this overall responsibility. If you want to get civility back in, well, it, it starts with Republicans and then Democrats and then the people who... Report on that as well. 229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You want to talk about a brutal business. The um, the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Tyron Liu, he, he got fired the, the other day. But 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 here's the deal. The Cavaliers were off to an 0-6 start. Okay, so that all right, but but it's an 82-game season, so you're you're 0-6. But but here's the deal. Lou had coached the Cavaliers for two and a half years. Now, admit, admittedly, this is with LeBron James, right? Arguably the greatest basketball player ever. So he takes over the first half season, leads the Cavaliers. He's the coach. LeBron James is on the team, but they win the NBA title. Then for the next two years, they make the NBA finals, losing to the Golden State Warriors, maybe the best basketball team ever. But I mean, the, the guy, during his tenure, two and a half years with Cleveland, he wins over 60% of his games. Again, he had LeBron James. I get it. But still, they delivered. They make the NBA Finals three years in a row. They win the title one year. LeBron James is gone. They get off to a rocky start. They're 0-6. But they fired him. The Cavaliers fired the guy. You know, it's like, okay, you want to talk about what have you done for me lately? Now... I mean, you don't have to be too upset with him because he's midway through a five-year, $35 million contract. And the way that works is he gets paid regardless. So it's it's not like – it's always funny when you have contracts. You get, I think they should fire so-and-so or whatever. I want to see you lose your job. And you kind of say, well, he's got a contract. So, yeah, you can fire him. But if, if you want to 
it's not going to really hurt him because he, he's going to get paid regardless. But, I mean, you just want to talk about a brutal business. Now, I understand he's off to a bad start, but, man, talk about like a short leash. Okay. I, I know Steve Scafidi talked about this briefly last week, but I, I want to kind of double back because it is part of my life. Halloween is is tomorrow. But already, already, it's not just that there are Christmas decorations out there, because there are. You go to a lot of stores, and they're, they're still now, everybody's switching over to Christmas. Don't, you know, forget about, you know, waiting for Thanksgiving. Now, I mean, you've got all the different Christmas decorations. But that's not what I want to talk about. Um, in the category of, I, I would say sometimes women are from Venus and men are from Mars or whatever, but this is this is more than that. My My wife will tell you, if you were to ask her, what sports does Jeff like to watch when they're on TV? She would say, it doesn't matter. As long as it's sports, Jeff will watch it. It could be Irish curling, and if it's on, Jeff will, will watch it. And you could say to me, what does Fran like to watch? And there, there's, there's two words that come to mind. Hallmark Channel. She's, she's just, she loves the Hallmark Channel. And what, for those of you who aren't familiar with, with the Hallmark Channel, it is incredibly popular, particularly among women, but there's a lot of men that, that like it as well. And what they do every Christmas season, and the Christmas season for Hallmark starts, it started last Saturday, October 27th. Every year, they make a bunch of movies specifically related to Christmas that they roll out over the Christmas season and then show over and over again. Now, I say a bunch of different movies, but the truth is they're really the same movie. Now, they might have different people in them, and the characters might have different names, but essentially the plot of a Hallmark movie goes something like this. You have, and the the, the genders will switch around, but you have the highly successful woman working in the big city who comes back home and then falls in love with, uh, falls back in love with the ex-boyfriend who's struggling to make his reindeer business work in, in Christmas town. Or the story might be, you've got boy who works for the, the big company looking to buy up some Christmas hotel in the small town. And he gets sent out to the town to make the deal. Meets the girl who's running the struggling hotel, or maybe it's her father that's running the struggling hotel. Girl doesn't know that boy is from the, the big city trying to buy it out. They fall in love, misunderstanding. They all get together at the end. I mean, it, it's, and it's pretty much all variations of those. There's a very famous Hallmark Channel drinking show, a drinking game that you can play like every time they sing a Christmas carol, you take a shot. Every time you see somebody in a Santa hat, you take a shot. Yeah, every time you see a reindeer, you take a shot. It's, you, you can, you know, you, you can get blasted really quick. But the Hallmark Channel has, has rolled out their series of movies. And um, our friend Matt Miller, Gene's son, who who writes for OnMilwaukee.com, he's got a piece categorizing. The, these are the different movies that Hallmark is rolling out between now and Christmas. My producer, grew is looking. These are the titles. Christmas at Pemberley Manor. Christmas Joy. Road to Christmas. Marrying Father Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. A Soldier's Christmas. Christmas at Graceland. A Godwink Christmas. Mingle All the Way. Return to Christmas Creek. Christmas on Honeysuckle Lane. Hope at Christmas. Christmas at the Palace. Christmas at Grand Valley. Pride, Prejudice, and Mistletoe. Christmas Everlasting. Welcome to Christmas. 
I continue. A shoe addict's Christmas. Christmas in evergreen. Letters to Santa. A majestic Christmas. Homegrown Christmas. Memories of Christmas. Once, I'm not making this up. My producer's once upon a Christmas miracle. Christmas Wonderland, a gingerbread romance, time for me to come home for Christmas, reunited at Christmas, entertaining Christmas, jingle around the clock, small town Christmas, Christmas made to order, Christmas bells are ringing, when calls the heart Christmas, and focus on love. Okay, these are all movies that are going to be rolling out once a week or sometimes twice or three times a week between now and Christmas. And then they will be shown over and over and over and over and over again. I know because I will watch them because my wife will watch them in bed, which means if I want to sleep in the same bed, I am going to inevitably watch them. I will go to sleep watching these Hallmark movies. And, and I bet I kind of, at some point, I kind of get fascinated. And a lot of the actors are, uh, actors and actresses are, you, you've kind of seen them like, like soap operas or like as in B movies and stuff like that. You go, where do I know that person from? But it, it's, it's one Christmas movie after another. Now, maybe you're listening to me and you say, Jeff, this sounds incredibly silly. I mean, I, I can't believe they've got all these movies. I will tell you the Hallmark channel during Christmas for these movies may very well non sports. Non live action sports. These may be the, this might be the most watched cable channel. Um, um, certainly among women and, and also perhaps among men over the next several months. This is a formula that is an incredible winner. And I admit that, I mean, they're, they're harmless fun. I get it. They're, you know, we, there's so much bad stuff that goes on the world, on in the world. It, it's just, it's kind of senseless fun escapism because the plots are kind of all the same. You can figure out where they're going. But you know what? I mean, you know it's going to have a happy ending. You're not going to have to worry that, you know, bad stuff is going to happen. You know that Christmas Town will be saved. You know the boy will get the girl or the girl will get the boy. It's kind of a good feel-good thing. I understand why these are so popular. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, fans of the Hallmark Channel, let's do a segment about this. These are the Christmas movies that are coming out there. Do you get it? Do you love it? Do you look forward to this? I will tell you, my wife is in this cat. And then, by the way, then after they run these Christmas movies, they, they kind of put them away for a little bit, and then they show some in the summer. Um, but this is a big deal. It is a big time. Are you, are you a fan of the Hallmark Channel? Is this your favorite time of year? And what is the, what is the appeal of all these different type of movies, which, uh, take it from me, they're all the same movie. <laughs> you know, there might be different people, but essentially they're all the same movie. But it doesn't, but people don't get tired of them. 414-799-1620. Let's take a break and then we're back to talk about it. It's 246. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 248, WTMJ. Okay, here's Matt Miller's summary of the first of the you know, hundreds, tens of Hallmark movies they're rolling out. Christmas at Pemberley Manor. Here's the uh, plot description. Cutesy, romantic, fluffle. Christmas Conundrum. A New York event planner is sent to a small town, where else, to organize its holiday festival, only to butt heads, but of course fall in love with a grumpy billionaire trying to sell the estate she wants to use for the party, etc. And they're all kind of like that. But this is, the Hallmark Channel is going to be dominant over the course of the next couple months. Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, 
Jeff, I don't uh, don't uh, don't share your um, how do you say, say enthusiasm for that. Uh, <laughs> Me, uh, well, it's my wife's enthusiasm, but I, I like sleeping in the same bed with her, so I have to kind of watch the show along with it. <laughs> uh, my enthusiasm for Christmas starts around Thanksgiving all the way to the end of the year for Christmas shows, Christmas music, and everything else. But uh, that's, that's that's running into my uh, stuff that I usually like to watch on Hallmark, you know, like Cheers and the rest of those oh, yeah. shows and stuff like that. And uh, I don't mind it, you know, I, I can hack it, but uh, no, it's if you want to really push Christmas, then let's put it on the Fourth of July. Well, but, but that, well, but you know, it's funny you should mention that, Tom, because as I recall, Hallmark, Hallmark, I think, does do some of the Christmas in July things where they bring back a lot of these movies and you know they recircle circulate them. Uh, Chris writes, Jeff, I'm with you. My girlfriend goes nuts over the Hallmark Channel, but I have absolutely no idea what the appeal is. I don't get how they can make all these movies that are essentially the same storyline and people go crazy over them. Well, I mean, I I get it. I mean, let's see. Here's Donna. She says, very excited. Hallmark Christmas movies are just feel-good movies, and I watch every year. My DVR is set for all the new movies. Donna, you could be at the Wagner household, because that's it as well. Beth says, Jeff, I like the Hallmark movies. I like Jimmy Buffett within reason, but his songs are all pretty much the same song, too. Yeah, I, I, I look, it, it's... Here is here is the appeal. Karen says it's simply wholesome movies. It's a chick thing. I Well, I, I mean, I, I know guys that like it, too. And again, I, I, I a little bit is fine with me, but I, I, I get it, too. It's it's a feel good sort of stuff. It's like it's like the, the popcorn romance novels. You know, you mean there, there's sort of some standard plots. You've got, you know, nice, attractive looking people. And, and I, I also get it. You know that it's going to have a happy ending. And I think there is. There remains an appeal in today's world for things that are, are going to have happy endings. Jeff in Grand Rapids. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff. Um, I kind of like listening to Kelly watching them. Um, my daughter DVRs them all the time. <laughs> I watch most of the ones. Um, and you were talking about the Hallmark Channel. There's Hallmark Channels. Yeah. At Hallmark, and you've got Hallmark Mysteries and Movies. Uh, and I think I heard that they're adding another one now. Uh, maybe it was just Christmas movies or something. So what do you think um, the appeal is? Why, why do so many Why do so many people flock to this? I, I think, like you said, it's just a, a feel-good thing. Um, right. They're not very deep, obviously. No, but but, uh, but it's sometimes you don't want deep. Sometimes you just no, want, I hey, I, I want some mindless entertainment. I want to watch, and, and it's nice. And I know nobody's going to die at the end, and everybody's going to be happy, and we're all going to feel good. I think there's an appeal to that. And they're not, they're not going to be too heavily researched either. Like a guy, and the one I saw the other night, chopped up a Christmas tree for firewood. That's going to happen. Yeah, it, it's, no, it, it's, it's, it's nice. I mean, again, I, and I think that they're, I, I think that, see, I think they've got a really, really interesting formula. And I, I, I respect it because what they're doing clearly, clearly works. And you're going to see that in the ratings and you're going to see it with how many different movies that I rack off, like, like 20, more than 20 probably. And, and they, they spend the year making them and then they roll them out between October and, you know, mid December and stuff like that. And, and people like one of our texters, they, they DVR them. They're all set to DVR these things and that's great. And then they're going to end up watching them. I, I'm not knocking the formula at all, but this is guys particularly. If you don't know about this, you will find out at some point in time because this, I don't want to say it's, it's a secret because lots of people know about it, but this is a formula that's working. And I think the large part of it is just it's, it's tapping into something that 
you know, we're, 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 we watch the news and we're depressed about watching the news and it's this tragedy and it's that tragedy and everybody's at each other's throats. Well, you know, you watch a Hallmark Christmas movie and, and that's not going to be the case. The big thing's going to be, you know, can they get enough items donated so when they have the big Christmas extravaganza, will they be able to save the Christmas hotel? And the answer is yes, they will. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John, Melissa, and Greg have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.